Well, we have been working through a series titled Empowered about how God wants to give you power, wants to give you life, wants to give you hope. And yet, sometimes things get in the way of that. And sadly, it's often us that get in the way of that. That we are the ones who rob ourselves of God's life-giving power so often. And so today, I want to talk about five kinds of behaviors that get in the way and that rob us of what God has for us. And so to do that, I'm going to talk about a text this morning that is a little peculiar. Uh, It was excluded, or let's say not included, depending on how active we want to make this voice. Uh, It did not show up in the lectionary text. So Christians got together and they made a three-year calendar of texts you should read every three years, and this text did not make it. Uh, maybe because it feels at first glance like there's no hope there, or it doesn't feel gospel enough, or it doesn't feel life-giving enough. But I think it might actually give us some caution signs and some warning signs of the types of things that get in the way for us that keep us from the gospel and good news. And so I'm going to read for us our text. It comes from Acts chapter 4, verse 32, uh, through Acts 5, 16 first half of this story is going to feel a little different than the second half. The text says, Now the whole group of those who believed were with one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything that they owned was held in common. With great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And there was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas. He sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard it. And the young men came and wrapped up his body, and they carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. And then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have led your husband out are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and died. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church who had heard all of these things. The word of the Lord. That's one of those 
it's one of those texts that it might be harder to say thanks be to God to. It seems uh, a little bit harsh, very fatal, final. But this text has some warning signs and some cautions that I think are meant to help and you know, empower us to, to stop them before they create negative consequences for us. How do we prevent ourselves from following this same path? And so I want to talk about what are the five kinds of behaviors that rob us of God's life-giving power? And so the first thing is, is faking spirituality. It can be really easy when you see a room full of people who feel moved by the Spirit. You go, I, I, I guess I should just do that, whatever it is. You know, maybe you've been somewhere and, and you've given your life to Christ, but there's an altar call and you just feel in that moment of like, I'm not feeling it, but my friend just went. My other friend just went. Maybe I should just go do this. I, not because you feel the Spirit moving, but because I don't want to be left out. Everybody else has the spirituality. I should just go along with it. And so there might be moments where you know what's the right thing you should say. You know what's the right thing you should do. But you don't actually feel it deep down. And I think this story tells of a church community who is on fire for God. I mean, the language around it, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And they're all living out this calling. And you start seeing all of your friends start selling off property to give to the mission of it. They're like, we got to support this thing. It's so important. It's so meaningful. Let's go all out. And you're like, well, I mean, it's, a, it's nice. And you just decide, I got to look like I'm one of the group. And so you just operate out of this place of, I think I'll, I'll just fake it. And so I think one of the things that I, I like to bring up because it's a temptation for all of us is it's easy to say, oh, I'll pray about that for you and then to completely forget about it and to move on. But we say the spiritual thing we know we should say and then we just don't get back to that deep well of what it is to get connected to God and to get spiritually growing and developing and maturing. So anytime we think, well, I think I should be spiritual, and we just try to just fake it, but we don't actually try to put roots down and try to actually be a part of what God's doing, we are robbing ourselves of actually experiencing what God is doing. Why not just actually plant your roots down into God and say, okay, God, move me. I'm not feeling it, but move me. Instead of asking God to move you, we just say, God, well, actually, we don't even say anything to God. We just say, well, I'll look enough like a Christian. And for some of us, we don't just stop there. We start telling other people they should look like Christians. So it's one thing for us to be like, I'm on fire for God. I hope you could get that same fire. And it's another to be like, I'm going through the motions, and I think you should too. How dare you not show the motions that I want to show? And it's not that we are trying to get them to a place of passion and heart. We're just saying, just give me the outward appearance of Christianity. 
Otherwise, I'm going to scorn you, shame you, dismiss you. But that, that faking spirituality robs so many people of that life-giving power that's possible with God. The second thing I want to invite you to, and it's related to that first one, is holding back robs us of God's power. So you might actually be on board for it and say, I want this, but I want to keep holding on to the edge of the pool. I don't want to wade into the deep end. God, can I get my full life-giving power without actually just jumping in? Todd, Todd uh, Belsinger tells a story about these sailors who got lost, but they kind of knew where they should be going, and they knew they should follow the coast. And so they, they look over, and they see a coastline, and they're like, let's just hug that coast. As long as we hug the coast, we'll make it to where we're supposed to go. The thing they didn't realize was they were hugging the coast of an island next to another coast. And so they just kept going in circles, hugging the coast. For so many of us, we hug the coast too much and say, well, what percentage, God, can I get away with? If I give you 30% of myself, is that going to be enough? Don't, all right, 49%. I don't want to give, all right, how, you know, 50-50, God. But what if we just actually gave power over to God and said, I'm, I'm all in. I trust you. I'm jumping in to the deep end, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to be like Peter walking out to Jesus. I'm going all in for God. And I think there's such beauty. I think each of us knows somebody, even if it's just for a season of their life where you've seen them and they've just been all in. And it's infectious. When you see somebody actually living it out, you want to do it too. But for so many of us, we just hesitate so much. Just, it's too much, God. How, can I just hold on to something a little bit longer? But what if we just went all in? And so Ananias and Sapphira, they saw what everybody else was doing. They saw everyone, they, they were selling off land because they're like, man, we're helping so many people. We're seeing people come to God. I want to give everything I have. So those people who own some things started selling some things off, taking those proceeds, bringing them in, and say, use this to make a difference in people's life. And Ananias and Sapphira said, we'll play that part. And um, yeah, we sold everything here. And so they do give something, but they want to hold it back. And Peter's going to get on to them. He's like, why didn't you just tell us you were holding something back? But they want it to look like everybody else. They want it to look like we're all in, but they really weren't. They wanted that safety net. They wanted that insurance policy. And they didn't jump out into God's life-giving power like they could have. A third thing that we do that robs God's life-giving power for us is we inspire co-conspirators. It's not enough sometimes for us to mess things up ourselves. We drag others along in it with us. You're thinking, if you're coming up with a scheme where you're going to cheat people, and can you just keep me out of it? But Ananias goes and, you know, this might be, this is a weird, bad model of it, but he actually goes to his wife to let her know what's going on and to get her approval of the situation 
But for both of them, you know, for the negative of this, it was scheming evil and lies instead of hopeful things and good things. But the text really wants you to know that Sapphira is on board and aware. It starts in chapter 5, a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a property with his wife's knowledge. Just in case you didn't know the first time I mentioned she was in on it, here's a second time she's in on it. But for so many people, you don't want to do something you know is wrong on your own. If you could get other people in on it, you don't feel as bad because surely not all of us could be so far in the wrong, right? Like, I've got, I've got friends in this. But there are people who have destructive goals and aims, and instead of just spouting hates, they, they get a crowd together. Like, hey, don't you hate this too? And instead of just letting your own destructive thing end in your own destructive ends, you bring that pain on other people with you. And so we use our power for, for evil, not for good. And I think about how much of a contrast this is in the story. That Ananias and Sapphira story, I think if you read that passage without that chapter 4 passage right before it, you miss the, the positive model before you get the negative one. And on the positive one, we hear about a man named Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles renamed. It says the community renames him Barnabas. So this guy is... is so all out, he's laying stuff before the apostles. They say, your new name is Son of Encouragement. And what a beautiful title for people around you to say, if I could characterize you, you are encouraging. And not encouraging towards paths of destruction, like Ananias does. But you encourage me to live the way God calls me to live. And I think if, if people were to take an audience poll of you and say, I want to give you a new name, what name would people around you give you? What a beautiful thing to be called Barnabas. And so be intentional. If you think about the behaviors you have, are you inspiring people towards life and God, or are you inspiring people towards hate and anger and greed? What kind of behavior are we living that makes a name for ourselves around us. The fourth behavior that robs people of, their God, of God's life-giving power is speaking falsely. If you are supposed to be witnesses to who Jesus is and the resurrection and what that could mean, then how on earth does speaking falsely help you as a witness? Right, Your testimony. If people see you speaking falsely about other things, how are they going to trust you about bigger things? And so we live in an age where you have a big platform. You can go on social media any day and talk to a lot of people out loud. How about we be conscientious about the truthfulness of the things that we project out into the world? It's really easy to reshare things. And I love, there's some social media platforms like Twitter where they now give you a little notification when you hit retweet, and they say, hey, you didn't open this link. Are you sure you want to retweet the story you haven't actually read? But what does it just to take a moment and think about how truthful am I? Because if I'm false, if I speak falsely, or I'm intentionally lying, 
I'm going to keep people from ever hearing the witness from my vantage point. And so Ananias and Sapphira choose a path of lies. They say, we're giving everything, and really they weren't giving everything. And Peter comes into the story, and Ananias dies, and then Sapphira enters the scene, and Peter gives her an out. It's very kind of almost humorous of like how the story plays out. But three hours later, Peter says to Sapphira, tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. He already knows it's false, but he's giving her an opportunity. And she says, yeah, yeah, that was the price. And you can just feel the disappointment. I don't know why I placed this into an imagination of a mom talking to a kid. Tell me the truth. Who did this? What happened? And sometimes that question comes with full knowledge of what happened. And you're just hoping, please speak truthfully. And then your heart breaks because your trust takes a hit. Because when you see them look you straight in the eye and speak falsely to you, it is hard to restore that trust again. It takes some time. Thankfully, with parents and kids, your love for them is so strong that you're trying to rebuild that thing. But in other relationships, it doesn't rebuild that quickly. So think about how truthfulness matters because every time we speak falsely, we hurt our witness. And something that Peter says is that that lying wasn't about lying to the people around them. Hey, you lied to God. And the fifth behavior we should avoid is acting like acting like Christian atheists. And I'm not talking about being atheistic and saying there's no God. I'm saying, what a weird behavior to say there is a God and I believe in him and I trust in him and then acting like he's not real. Because what on earth are you thinking if you're saying I'm devoting all of this to God and you act like God isn't going to know you've just lied to God? But it's an easy temptation. Yeah, God's not going to see this if I'm not thinking about it. If I stop praying for a few weeks, maybe God won't notice me. Maybe if I don't go to church for a few months or a few years or a few decades, maybe God won't notice me. What a peculiar belief to live like God gives you life-giving power and resurrection, but then to act like he doesn't exist. And so we, we should wonder, Am I behaving, am I following God fully where it's, you know, harmonizing with my belief in who God is? Do I think God sees me at all times? When I think, oh, no one will notice this lie or this secret. Do you think God just, like, turned a camera off for the little, little bit of time? Let the feed go on? But let's live and act like our beliefs are true. That's part of going all in. Saying, this God gives life and power and hope, and I'm not going to live my life as if that's not true. And so I was thinking about the ways in which this couple broke the trust and the, the relationship with that church community. And why on earth is this a big deal? And I've got an illustration, which means I'm going to walk away from my mic for a second.
got cash, you, you, there's a sense of power you've got with cash, right? You're like, oh, I, have, I can go buy something. And it feels pretty good. Sometimes you can get bills, though, that are too big. And you're like, a $50 bill, some places don't take my money if this costs, you know, like, I don't want a 50. I don't want a 100. And so strangely, some high-valued high bills start to feel powerless. Uh, and so you start being like, well, what if they think my money's fake? And so you might start doubting or not trusting. But I've got movie prop money. You add a single fake dollar bill into your money pile, and you start questioning all of it. You start changing the ratio, and you're like, I don't know what's real anymore. I'm losing my trust. And having people like Ananias and Sapphire break the trust of the community is like having some counterfeit bills in the community where you're like, how do I trust any of this, or what's happening here? And in reality, all of our financial situation is built on a whole lot of trust. After 1971, we stopped having gold or silver to represent our money. So all it is is the government saying this has value. You're, you're banking on the trust in the system. And sometimes that trust disappears. Uh, in Germany, after World War I, they experienced inflation like no other. It was increasing 300% every month. They were paying a lot of people twice a day because what you were making would make, would make nothing by the end of the day. And so uh, in 1914, the German mark to the American dollar was 4.2 to 1. In 1923, it was 4.2 trillion to 1. You think about how devastating, how devastating it is when this thing that is supposed to give you power becomes counterfeit and becomes not even real. It becomes powerless. And so when I think about Ananias and Sapphira, of like, why does the story have such a grave consequence? What they're saying is, you see what God's doing in the world and the community? If there's any counterfeitness happening, people won't trust any of it. It falls apart. And so you think about all the like scandals that are like make the headlines in the news about churches. Think back to the Jim Bakers and Jimmy Swaggerts or Eddie Longs or, or Ted Haggard or Bill Hybels or Brian Houston, other people recently, these public faces, when they commit abuses of different sorts, the world looks and says Christianity isn't real. It's just a mirage. And they might have bigger platforms than each of us, but each of us, when we don't live out our faith truthfully and honestly, have an impact on the people around us that witness disappears, it falls apart. People use that as an excuse to say there's nothing here. And so the reason that this story has such grave consequences is it fractures communities. It makes us fall apart. It ruins the witness that we are called to. And not all of the time, not most of the time, does, does it actually end with actual grave deaths? All the names I just mentioned, you know, People don't just drop down dead every time they lie to God. I'm glad about that for the grace of God and mercy and hope for the next decision and, and for repentance. But the, the story is meant to illustrate for you the visual of the grave consequences of going a different way and ruining your witness. And so this text ended with the whole community 
saw and heard about what happened, and they lived with great fear. And so it's not just about whether you live up to the life-giving power God offers you. It's about how that affects everybody around you. And so when you have to make a decision the next time about whether you want to jump all in, whether you want to be, you know, authentic versus false, like fake spirituality, whether you want to hold back or you just want to go full into it, whether you want to encourage faithfulness or if you want to encourage corruption and sin and harm, whether you speak truthfully or falsely, whether you act like God's here or not, all of those things are a powerful act and witness to who God is here and now. And so if we want to live empowered lives, I hope each of us takes this story as the reminder of, uh, of the two paths. To live out what God offers you and invites you. Or to kind of dig our own graves where our own behaviors, our toxicities come back to get us. And so may we all feel encouraged towards living like that community. Remember that first chapter, that half part we read? People were of one accord, praising God, helping those in need giving what they could to support what God was doing. And that community is possible, even though there's some people uh, that don't take that route. It might cause a lot of pain in the way. So consider what kind of life, what kind of path you want to take today. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your mercy for your faithfulness. Lord, when we fall short, we thank you that you have been loving in in your embrace. Lord, we ask that you might give us a spirit that goes all in, that lives for you, that's passionately courageous following you wherever you guide us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.